In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. In today's Gospel, we have a passage about our Lord walking around different places and somebody, we don't know who, somebody addresses a question to him, asks him something, a question that has provoked many, many a discussion over the centuries to understand and interpret what the Lord said. And he asked if, well, will there be few who are saved? Will there be few? Was this an important question? The thought of afterlife? The thought of what happens to us? There was no clear doctrine among the Jews at the time. There was not a clear idea that even of a heaven. That was a thing that gradually came about. And the and he's wondering, will there be few? He's heard, perhaps, that very few will be saved. Probably, it would seem that this person asking considered himself as part of this, this the chosen people of God. Jesus was part of the chosen people of God. He was part of the people of Israel. And the fellow asking felt, well, we're, we're part of the select few the family of God that God has chosen. We are part of the elect. But he's also thinking of all the Gentiles, the thousands and thousands of people, whether they're the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Jebusites, who knows, all these people. It's a great multitude, but we are the chosen people of God. And compared to all those, we are few. What about the massa damnata, as is sometimes said? The, the mass of the unclean, those who will not be saved. It's as though he kind of took for granted, just by virtue of, the, of being a Jew, that all others would be damned, but he, because he's a Jew, would be saved. It's as though he might be saying, isn't that true, Lord? We, you and I, you know, we're, we're good, you know but with a slight doubt as to all those others. And we know the answer. The Lord said, Strive to enter by the narrow door, because I tell you, many will try to enter and will not succeed. Strive, do your best, struggle to enter by the narrow, the narrow door. And that, of course, is, is what has provoked so many discussions about salvation. The idea that many will try to enter the narrow door, but will not succeed. It's a, it's a pretty um, you know, sort of dramatic image of 
trying to enter, not being allowed. But he is also saying, look, just by virtue of being a Jew, that doesn't mean you automatically enter into heaven. You have to strive, you have to struggle. Man, imagine, imagine facing a door. It's too narrow to go through. <laughs> you know, it's like who made this door? It it seems a, a contradiction to make a door that is so narrow. Most doors are regulation size in width and in height because they have to let a wide range of people through, coming from different. Uh, at different speeds, perhaps. But the door that the Lord is speaking about, the gate, the door, He's speaking about is, is, is somehow narrow because it is unique and, of course, a very important place, as though it's only made for certain people to fit in. And you, it's narrow, so you have to go in sideways or, uh, you know, it's only for people with certain external dispositions or even more internal dispositions their attitude the purity of their love only people like that will fit it seems as though it's for a limited type of people even if many are called as though the person has to adapt themselves to that door so you can fit in, you can enter. Well, we ask you now in our prayer, Lord, well, well what is that door? Why, why would you make it so narrow? Why don't you make it like wide so many can go? Well, perhaps the way we can look at it, though, there obviously have been many different uh, interpretations. Some think it's narrow and then very few will be saved. And, uh, and, and just a select few will come in adapt themselves to the width of that door. But perhaps the other interpretation is that that narrow gate is in some way unique for each person. It's hard and narrow for everyone because it is the door of our vocation. That everybody in this world has a unique vocation. It may be the same as others, but then others are different. So in the end, though we, we all have the same vocation, you and I here and other people have different vocations, in the end, everybody, because of their life situation, because of their personality, because of who they are, ultimately have a personal vocation, which is that narrow door, which we all kind of have to fit through. It's, it's an invitation to live a vocational sense of life, that in everything I do, I'm living it in function of my fidelity to my vocation, which is the narrow door of love. If I abandon the vocational sense of my life, in many ways the purpose of my life, the the door in some ways gets narrower and narrower and narrower. It's more and more difficult to fit in. And uh, it's really for us a call, you would say that, a call to have a conversion to a vocational sense of life. That's our call to conversion. Because, Lord, I want to pass through that door. I want to live 
faithfully my vocation. And in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, this morning he says that the Lord says this, I am coming to gather the nations of every language. An image which was, which was quite startling to the Jew because every language meant people from different races, different tribes, and that is all these people that are not Jews. Every nation. So the Jews were a specific nation and they thought they were the people chosen by God, but Isaiah is opening up the doors here and he's opening up, he's making the gate wide. There's going to be an immense and beautiful gathering of all these nations at a time when there was great hostility between nations. Everybody had their, you know, their enclosures and, and their battles. But even more terrifying is the image of someone standing outside and knocking. This is what our Lord then says. He says, I do not know you. If, if I read the passage here from uh, the response, the Lord says, um, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I tell you, will attempt to enter, but will not be strong enough. After the master of the house has risen and locked the door, then you will stand outside, knocking and saying, Lord, open the door for us. He will say in reply to you, I do not know where you are from. And you will say, we ate and drank in your company, and you taught in our streets. Then he will say to you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. And there will be wailing and grinding of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from the north and the south and will recline at table in the kingdom of God. For behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. Well, all these people from north and south, east and west, uh, it seems to, to refer to all that, the nations that, that uh, Isaiah spoke about. So Zoe is saying, look, just because you're Jew, just because you're part of the people of God, the chosen people, that is, yes, a vocation. But you have your own specific vocation that you have to be faithful to. And so do all those other people. And they will recline at the table, the table of the kingdom. And, uh, but it is uh, striking the image of knocking a door and just expecting somebody to come in Maybe you have a secret knock. People recognize you. Three knocks, and they'll pause, and then another knock. Oh, okay, that's uh, you know, that's so and so. And I don't know. I do not know you. So maybe, what can be the focus for us in these dramatic and powerful images that the Lord presents to us today? Will be the focus should be not so much on whether or not the door is narrow or whether or not he hears us or knows us, but that we ought to strive to enter, because that's the first thing the Lord says. Do your best, strive, struggle to enter through the narrow gate.
Not that we focus on big discussions that have taken place throughout centuries about the number of saved, or, or no, not on the number or how many, but on how to be saved. Just like when the disciples ask, when will the Son of Man come to judge? Like when? When is it going to happen? What day? He was inviting them to focus on how to prepare ourselves for that moment. He didn't say when it's going to happen. He just told you how to prepare, how to get ready. We were going on a camp one day, and one of the boys was, was telling me, Okay, Father, uh, when, you know, when exactly are we leaving? I need to know when we're leaving. And I said, well, we're still planning that. Look, I, I don't know, uh, you know, uh, just arrive more or less at some that time, then we'll go. Well, I need to know because I need the pack. I need the pack. <laughs> so, so, well, that's good. Yeah, you pack. You go ahead and that's preparing yourself. And then we'll see when, you know. Then we'll see when. You know? Okay, okay, I'll, I'll prepare myself. Get your bag, get your stuff ready, you know. And uh, it's it's curious, you know. Some people think some religions, you know, think that there will only be 144,000 people saved. You know, only 145. I mean, that's not even. That's not. I mean, like you know, that's like. Well, I mean, if that were the case, the, the parking lot is definitely full by now. You know, I mean. T- you know, you know, you go into a park, you find a parking lot. Okay, let's go. We can park here, and then it says parking full. Now we have to go around in circles to find, you know, because I think they they take the they square number twelve, twelve tribes of Israel. So they know that twelve times twelve, and then they multiply that by thousands. I don't know how they get there. I don't know, but it's crazy. It's crazy to think that God says sorry. I made a heaven, but I just I didn't have time to make it bigger, so there's only room for <laughs> 144,000. <laughs> like, dude, you know, like, like get some expansion uh, projects going here. You know? <laughs> so thank God that's not how God operates. No? But rather, he says, strive, strive to enter. There's tons of places, but you still gotta, you still gotta strive. You know, I read that that the word strive or yeah make an effort if you like I don't know how you could stri- translate that but in Greek the word used is agonizame agonizame uh, agonizame yeah well that's where we get the word agony from or agonize and uh, they would use that the Greeks would use that for the Olympic Games to fight or to strive you know in the Olympic Games you run you know you run for the, for the prize for the medal they also used it to describe hand-to-hand combat with the enemy that would be agonizing or whatever, however they say it in Greek. But it certainly connotes a, a supreme effort. And uh, that's why we, in our life we have to break out of the comfort zone. Well, ask ourselves, which comfort zone am I stuck in? And do I need to break out of? Maybe I have, in my vocation, the Lord is inviting me eh, to, to break out because there is a narrow door that is the door of my vocation. I have a vocational sense of life, and that door might be quite unique to me. 
Some people ask certain things, other people are asked others. Some people suffer this sickness, others that sickness, that limitation, that quality which makes gives us more responsibility. But the motor of our struggle is love. The love of the call that God has given each one of us individually. That's the narrow gate. And the motive of our striving is love, not perfectionism. And that's why perhaps you could say that when the Lord speaks about striving through the narrow gate and making that effort, he's, he's really emphasizing our individual responsibility as opposed to just kind of general appearances or generally belonging to the people of God. By suggesting, perhaps, when he says, you know, many will try and will not get in, others who will not get in will actually get in, they will find themselves reclining at the table among those nations that many of the Jews considered kind of not part of the people of God and therefore certainly damned. Well, maybe on Judgment Day, there will be a lot of surprises. He said the first will be last and the last will be first. That means there will be lots of surprises. You know, sometimes you walk down the street, especially if you walk down the street in the evening, you see young people today, you know, of course, I'm of a certain generation, but you see young people and you see blue hair, you smell marijuana, you see piercings in the noses, uh, uh, you hear snippets of conversations that sound somewhat superficial, you see crazy tattoos, strange clothing. We see that and we might be tempted to judge. We say, oh, these young people today, we might be tempted to do that. But we don't know what they've been through. We don't know the things that they have received. Some of them are very difficult things. Some of them with parents that have abandoned them or, or just not taking care of them. It's true, perhaps much of their moral education is somewhat shallow, but that's not always their fault. That's what they've received. Maybe in the schools or... But I think there will be a lot of surprises because they too can understand the concept of striving and struggling about love and sacrifice. Even though externally to us, at least to me of a certain generation, and yeah, it's probably true for them when they see somebody of a different generation, as society evolves, they will see somebody very different from them. And they will be tempted to judge as well. But we know, despite the fact that the Lord says, strive to enter by a narrow gate, He's not asking us to rely exclusively uh, on our personal uh, efforts because God's mercy is great. When he, when he adds that, that you know, the first will be last and the last will be first, it's also an indication of God's mercy. And uh, it is indeed great. He always tells us about the grandeur of God's mercy. You know, can it really be that God's mercy only fits into a narrow, selected few who fit the bill? Oh, no, you're not, but you're not a member. Uh, sorry, sorry, no, sorry. You don't fit into the narrow gate. Hmm. 
You know, it's, it's lovely to think that the church canonizes people. She has a process of canonization, and it's very careful done. It's uh, you know, uh, the, the, we study the virtues, the heroic, what we call the heroic virtues. We get examples, testimonies. You know, we see, oh yeah, this person did this and that, and and. Uh, um, and we see that they they did the best to give the best of themselves. They strove to give the best of themselves, the best virgin. We see that they had joy, that they had hope, that they prayed. You know, those are all things that we see by testimonies. So the process of canonization looks at all that. And then that person, when they are in heaven, will respond through intercession. And we see miracles. Right? It's, all, it's all a well-thought-out plan. And we can say this person is definitively she has gone through the narrow door. She is in heaven. Because we see all the things she did in her life. But there is no canonization process for those who are in hell. There's no, I don't know how you call it, anti-Saint uh, anti -Saint Hitler. You know? I don't know what's a devil Hitler. I don't know. We cannot add the moniker devil to anybody. Not Hitler, not Mao, not Stalin, as though we were absolutely sure that they are in heaven, just as we are absolutely sure that somebody is in heaven. Not the psychopathic killer, not, I don't know, whoever the deranged person might be. Because it's, we cannot say, oh no, God's mercy doesn't apply to that person. Yes, we can say they did bad things. Of course, we know they did horrific things. But God's mercy is way beyond what we imagine. Sometimes we see signs of that in a, pers a bad person's life who converts. We see that, but at times we don't see it. I've never heard of anything about Hitler being a good guy. <laughs> you know. But the, the gate nevertheless fits within the realm of God's mercy. It does mean that we have to strive. Just because we're not Hitler doesn't mean we can't strive. Sometimes at funerals, funerals when the, the eulogy comes, uh, people canonize everybody. You know, no matter who they are, they've died. Well, just by virtue of the fact that they've died, they must be in heaven. They must be in heaven. And of course, you're not going to suggest at a funeral that uh, <laughs> you know grandma is uh, you know wherever but you can't do that so you say nice things uh, but always you have to emphasize hope you know you have to emphasize the need to pray for that person and that also it's meant as an occasion of conversion because we too will arrive there we too will be dead one day too somebody will say a eulogy about us we'll be in that coffin one day and so funeral homilies are meant to encourage conversion, meant to encourage hope, confidence in God's mercy, of course, but above all, a relationship with God, a relationship with Christ, a fidelity to one's own vocation, of which there can be many different ones in a crowd like that. But to eulogize a person and just say how great they were, and just talk about their own life, and they did this, they were born here, is not exactly the purpose of a of a funeral we do have to when we hear these words of our Lord we have to strive 
Fred Astaire was a great dancer in the f- 40s and 50s and did some great movies and uh, one of the, you know when he first was uh, did some audition they said wow this guy can't dance you know and uh, and he later came back and he worked very very hard on every one of his steps and to get the bars of music just right uh, and uh, he would rehearse and rehearse and uh, one biographer recounts how he saw him in some studio rehearsing and it was late at night and everybody had gone home and he was alone there rehearsing and uh, he came to him and said, oh, how are you doing? And, he, and Fred Astaire is apparently said, if only people would tell me where I'm going wrong. Of course, he was Fred Astaire. He was the greatest dancer you know, in Hollywood, you know, and nobody dared to say anything to him. And so he had to kind of like correct himself and strive himself and just get the the, the moves exactly right. He wanted others to tell him that he cannot dance, and that's why we we are thankful for fraternal corrections when we receive them, and. Uh, we were told maybe a little detail, you know, change this, don't, you know, just be aware of this, uh, and it's so that we can be better. And maybe we're tempted to think, well, come on, man, I'm not that bad, or we defend ourselves. I read this recently that uh, Saint Margaret Mary Alacoque had many apparitions of Jesus, and apparently during one of them, St. Mary, Margaret Mary, asked our Lord a rather curious question. She asked him to tell her who among his followers in the world, at this moment right now, she said, are giving his heart, his sacred heart, the greatest joy. Who are giving you joy right now? And uh, she was expecting, you know, some great bishops, some great preachers, some great pope. He said, no. Well, didn't mention that. Didn't mention some great aristocrat or some great intellectual or some great missionaries. Not even did he mention some people who at that time later on went to be canonized. But rather, he said, well, you want me to tell you who's giving me a great joy to my heart? And he mentioned some very little-known novice instructor who lived in a small convent in some European countryside that nobody knew about. Who was, I don't know exactly what she was doing, but she was instructing novices how to start in their vocation, how to follow Christ, how to be faithful. Nobody knew about her. And he said, she's the one who's giving me, my, my heart, the greatest joy. And, uh, you know, Margaret Mary saying, well, who is this thing? So you don't have to be famous or do great things. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do much drama or fireworks or great achievements. You know, what really matters is that we be faithful to that divine vocation that the Lord has given us. We're not required to have certain very unique and special talents or intelligence or athletic ability 
well, that's good because, uh, you know, that helps that we don't have to be strong and super, super healthy. Well, if the Lord required intelligence and athletic ability, well, that would not be fair to call us to holiness (laughs) because uh, that would probably cut many of us out. Ultimately, we know holiness, sanctity, getting through that narrow door comes from living our fidelity to our vocation. It's a vocation that that each door is in some way that vocation. And to get through is your responsibility and my responsibility. And that's what the saints really did in the end, whoever they were. I read about a Korean martyr from the 19th century and uh, she, she was uh, part of these waves of uh, persecutions against uh, Christians in Korea. And this lady, her name was uh, Saint Anna Pak Aji. Pak Aji. Saint Anna Pak Aji. And uh, she, she was very uneducated. And it is said that she had a dismal memory. She just couldn't remember anything. And... Uh, they tried to teach her catechism and she just couldn't remember they couldn't remember the prayers and everything and um, they were kind of mocking her because of her inability to remember the catechism and she said at one point although I don't know as much about God as I want to I will try my best to love him and uh, well she got married she taught her children uh, she, you know she educated she had quite a few children but um but then she was arrested. She was 57, she was arrested, and it was demanded of her that she renounce her faith. Her husband came to her and repeatedly begged her to renounce her faith, that she would be released from prison. But she said, well, why should I risk eternal life and going through the narrow door just to have a few more years here of life? And uh, within a short time, she was executed, as many Christians were. But she was faithful. and. Uh, that heart full of love for God led her through the narrow gate. Saint Anna Pak Aji. I hope that's how you pronounce it. And she was beatified, or uh, canonized actually, by Pope John Paul II in 1984. Let's ask the Lord to help us identify that narrow gate and, uh, and strive to enter it with joy, the great joy that the Lord wants us to have. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.